According to his longtime collaborators, picture editor Jay Rabinowitz, sound editor Bob Hine, and re-recording mixer Tony Vellante, when you enter the world of making a film with Jim Jarmusch, you enter a world of subtleties wrapped in layers of wry and personal humor, late-night mix sessions, and a familial atmosphere that fuels your imagination, something conditional to making the music that ultimately is a Jim Jarmusch film. Beyond the film itself that you're working on, if I were to hang out with Jim and Jay in the cutting room and we shoot the breeze, you learn a lot about everybody's sensibilities. That's and, right. You know, you understand the bigger picture bigger stuff. picture stuff and, and you start to meld how you take a look at things. And it I, influences the work big time. That's the the nature of the atmosphere that we were working under. For me it was like working on a rock and roll record. Yeah. Like, it, exactly. It reminded me right. of like my music sessions that I used to do. It felt like that. It felt like we were a band. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And a band is another word for family, really. Yeah. To me, it's like, it's all music, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah. We're, ideally. we're mixing sound for film, but it, to me, it's music. The pictures. It's music to the ears. The dialogue. And, yeah. I mean, all of it. Yeah. Me too. And, and I feel I like agree. when working with Jim, it's like making music. That's right. I'm your host, Isabel Siderni, and this is Frame by Frame, introducing you to the most influential and respected film professionals working in New York today as a celebration of New York's ongoing contribution to the global film community. Frame by Frame is co-presented by the Motion Picture Editors Guild and Post New York Alliance because it's how you finish that counts. Our website is postnewyork.org, and we can be found on Twitter at at PostNY. The host for today's episode is Soundtrack. Coming together in the early 1980s filmmaking scene of New York, editor Jay Rabinowitz and sound editor Bob Hine first met on Jim Jarmusch's Mystery Train, which led to multiple collaborations over 25 years on such films as Broken Flowers, Dead Man, and Limits of Control. Re-recording mixer Tony Vellante joined in mixing the feature film Coffee and Cigarettes, and has since also mixed Patterson with Bob Hine as sound editor. Jay and Bob started out by describing the filmmaking scene of 1980s New York and how that set the tone for future collaborations. New York was like in this film dynamic, like roller coaster ride. It was really, really cool. And people like Jim Jarmusch and Orrin Beatty was here, Dustin Hoffman, Woody Allen just hit it, Martin Scorsese, all these guys are here. And the place was, to get into film then, it was a small community. And if you were in it, you were in it all the way, and it was really exciting. I think we embraced it completely, and it stood above everything else we were doing in our lives. We were fully engaged. Yeah, no, I think that's <laughs> right? right. I think that's right. It was immersive. It was immersive. I mean, this, is, this was the 80s, really, that we're talking about, right? Yeah. So there was this, the Reds and the Ishtar, these big things that, like, this small community that you're talking about, almost everyone was employed on, on these two films and, and, and on a few others. Yeah. So there, were, there was already sort of these kind of big films, even though they were the New York version of Hollywood films, of studio films. So already they were a bit more independent. And, and Warren Beatty and, and Dustin Hoffman and all those guys were, were here, and that was all sort of within the Sound One world. And at the same time, at that time, some of these indie guys were coming out yeah. of that. Jim, Spike Lee, yeah. the Coen brothers, you know, were all starting to come out. And, and so for us, I think, people that worked a little bit behind the scenes, cutting picture, cutting sound, and all that stuff, we were we were thrilled by the the fresh blood, and we were thrilled by these sort of bigger Hollywood films that were here and had this kind of New York juice. And mm. it was it was a, it was a very exciting it was a very exciting time to 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 be a part of that. It may, may have been a lot to do. Films then weren't as accessible as they are now. If you miss a film now, whammo, you can look at it on Netflix or wherever. That's right. But back then, when a film came out, and the premiere happened, it was a big deal. Yeah. And lots of these films were cutting in New York for a year or two. And the energy that kept getting more and more ramped up until it actually opened, it was a big deal. Yeah, there seemed to be more on the line. 
Yeah. It, it seemed like you were making something important and substantial. Because yeah. I was just coming out of school in, in like 84-ish. And it was like kind of the last moment where you could know more or less all of film history. You, you know, right. it was like 100 years old or a little bit less. And, and you could kind of know what happened, how, we, how it started and how we got from there to where we were at that time. Mm. And you could know about the Europeans and you could know about the, the Asian films. And you could know a lot about the vast majority of film history. And, and then there was this explosion. Mm. And this was this kind of transitional period. This was before digital filmmaking. There was no digital cameras. There was no digital editing or anything like that. So it was like the last stages of that analog world of filmmaking, which was which was super exciting to be a part of. And to have been a part of that, that informed how you became mm. a player or a, or, a, or a worker in the in the digital world, because you had this experience of cutting film, cutting, cutting sound on film and cutting picture on film. But that made it a very interesting time uh, combined I think with that with that dynamic of of there being sort of the New York version of Hollywood films and this really exciting independent film movement that I think Jim sort of started on mm-hmm. some level with Stranger Than Paradise that was like people looked at that film and said oh my god I could do that you know or I remember Spike Lee used to say that because he he was in school with Jim and Jim made Stranger Than Paradise and it was well received at Cannes and it was well received at the world and it and it made it clear to someone like Spike that if Jim could do it this guy was sitting next to me at school then I could maybe I yeah, could do it yeah. and so a lot of people started jumping in at that time and it was a, and it was a super exciting time what what you you'd been working for a while yeah uh, I started in 82 or 83 Okay, okay, so not too much before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the other part, the dynamic, was that Sound One, which was where most of these films were cut, in the evening, all the cutting rooms would merge up somewhere in the building. So you could hang out with Alan Pakula, and in would walk, you know, in would walk anyone that was involved. You could meet all the editors, like Barry Malkin, who cut for Coppola, and you could hang out with these people, and it was a small community. Yeah, it was close knit, <clears throat> and it was it, that 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 also made it a really yeah. exciting time. I Which mean, it's we very were, different than now. Very, everyone spread out, and everyone's locked behind doors, and they don't mingle together. But the much. biggest, <laughs> it, no, it's fascinating. Why I, is that? Why do you think that is? Why is it the technology? I don't know. I don't know. I think people got people got scared of giving out too much mm. info. Protecting their <laughs> protecting territory. their territories. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And the film from too much. No, I Back think then, that's I don't part think of it. We were I think too... that's part of it. I, it. The technology did affect that. Mm. I think because you could keep cutting right up until the last minute. You could keep cutting sound right up until the last minute. You could keep mixing right up until the minute. So, so it changed, like... But I think what you were initially talking about, Bob, was the the, the camaraderie between many different films. And right. that was a huge shift to, you know, sort of getting initially sort of, like, sequestered in the world of the particular film you were working on. Yeah. But what happened beyond that, which sucked, was... Even the picture and sound departments got separated. When we were doing Mystery Train, right. I was assistant editor on Mystery Train. You were sound sound editor, supervising sound editor was mm-hmm. called at the time, which is now like sort of sound designer. Yeah. And 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 we were in we were in the thick of it together, day in and day out. Yeah. You know, there wasn't a day that went by that we didn't that we didn't work together. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and now, if I see the sound crew on a film that I've cut. It's kind of a miracle. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I'll, I mean, I'll see them at the mix, right? And usually, that's the first time I get to hang out with them. I, w- I will have interacted a little. We will have obviously had some spotting sessions and stuff, but the first but time we're really sort of—that's right. And the, and 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 you're not 
within the world of the film together that much, right. and th- and that's a really detrimental yeah. part. It's you know it's just, it's the way it is, but it's a maybe because because they're smaller places now, not as big as they're smaller and they're like satellitey. Yeah, they're, they're like satellite. you know yeah, the sound guys are there and mm-hmm. and we're over here. Yeah, and and um, yeah, you know what was interesting is on Mystery Train, I would talk to Jay every couple hours, and he would clear things up for me. Uh, you know, I'd be working on the film, and something would be amiss, or I didn't get it, or whatever. Jay knew everything, so I could access him anytime. Whereas nowadays, even the editors are sort of separated from their assistants now. That's right. You know? That's so right. So the assistant has no idea. I call the assistant because the editor's with the director, and the assistant doesn't have as much knowledge of the project. And that may be because of the digital realm. Some of that's technology. You know, I try to avoid that. I, mm-hmm. I try to keep my people with me. And, yeah. and again, I know some editors do that. Yeah. And, some are, and sometimes we're more successful than others. Sometimes it's hard to do that. But I do try to keep people involved, not only in the process of cutting, because I need the feed, I want the feedback yeah. from my crew of what, uh-huh. what I'm up to. But also in terms of you know the whole the whole unit of making a film, mm-hmm. the, the the whole post production team. Yeah, uh, I think filmmakers want to get back to that. They want to. Inevitably, you feel that when you I work do, with people, yeah. I feel like they want everybody to be sort of working together under the same roof. And, I think so too. And having that uh, that camaraderie and creative. It's, yeah, some of the younger ones haven't haven't even experienced that. You yeah. know what I mean? The what the guys that are coming up that. Yeah. But then but then there's those of us who had that. For a minute, you know, yeah. and and it, and it was a good thing, and and it took a minute to recognize what was happening. I mean, you know, schedules got compressed, and everybody was harried and and rushing about trying to make sure they got their jobs done. Yeah. Plus, it's also beyond the film itself that you're working on. If I were to hang out with Jim and Jay in the cutting room, and we shoot the breeze. You learn a lot about everybody's sensibilities. That's right. You know, you understand the bigger picture, bigger picture stuff, and and you start to meld like how you take a look at things, and it influences the work big time. In a positive way. Yeah. No, and I think with a filmmaker like Jim, that's half the battle. Yeah. Is sort of getting, starting to get a, that sensibility, starting to have, you know, yeah. and and that comes from being together and working together. Yeah. Tony wasn't there yet, but t- I include Tony because we have that kind of camaraderie with him also. We all hung out together. It was like, you know, we grew up on the same neighborhood. We were like, you know, it was like, it felt like that. You know, like yeah. we were friends for life from young that's childhood right. even. And so I, th- it no, no, I think that's right. It sounds yeah. funny, but it's like that's the... The nature of the atmosphere that we were working under, yeah. you know, and Jim, we should say, uh, Jim, Jim, at that time also had this scheduling issue, which is that um, <laughs> he wasn't necessarily a morning person. Yeah. So we would start mixing after the, the regular mix day was done. So the regular mix day would be nine to six. Then they would need like an hour to change over the room and we would start mixing at seven. And we would mix until whenever, yeah. you know. And, and, and again, that bred this kind of familiarity yeah. and hanging out. I would be falling asleep on the little couch and, you know. <laughs> but also hearing the movie and you'd be half asleep. You'd be in dreamland and you'd be going, wait a minute, that's, yeah. that's too loud, you know. <laughs> um, but, it, but it did, that was true on Mystery Train and it was true on Dead Man. It's almost like... You know what it is? It's like now they talk about when they sequester a jury. Mm-hmm. We were sequestered. Yeah. We were sequestered in the world of Mystery Train or in the world of Dead That's Man. True. And we liked it. Yeah. No going home. No, don't talk to your family or your loved ones about what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Just You'll be in here. You'll be, and, we'll, and you will be in Memphis or we'll be traveling around with, with nobody and William Blake. And we'll be right, like right. trying to make sure we got the right birds <laughs> yeah. and all that. But we're lost in that world. Yeah. And, and, you know, that can still happen a little bit in, 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 a, in a mixed situation. But it's harder, you know, when everybody's spread out and satellited and yeah. doing their digital work here and for there. Me, and for me, it was like working on a rock and roll record. Yeah, like, exactly. It reminded me right. of like 
my music sessions that I used to do. Yeah. Because they would always start late at night. Yeah. So I was like, here's a filmmaker that wants to work late at night. This is yeah. like this is like rock and roll. Yep. And yep. it felt like it felt like that. It felt like we were a band. Yeah. You know. I think that's right. And a band is another word for family, really. Yeah, exactly. Which is what Bob was saying. So yeah. it is the same thing. You know, when we hooked up with Tony, we didn't know so much about Tony and and there was that same sensibility that you're talking about, like um, oh, familiarity, like like of 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 being in a band or work or, yeah. or being amongst family and but trying I was, to make I was something a new, special. I was happen. a new member. I felt like I at was, that moment, I was yes. new, the new drummer that yeah. came in. Yeah. Just, now, what you might yeah. not have known is yeah. that, like, we were, you know, we would leave there every, every, after every session going, like, holy shit, we lucked out. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, this is fucking great. And, 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 you know, there's still, there's still sometimes some of that. Yeah. But man, it's, it's been diluted. It's in between. It's in between. And it's, and, and, and I think it's exciting what you're saying, Tony, about people, like, this sense that people are trying to get back to that. Cause, yeah. Yeah. cause, you I know, know I, I know I am. Yeah, I, that, and I think it's something to aim for. Yeah, I, I have to work on that as well. It's yeah. you know there was this digital revolution, and it, we we couldn't always tell the side effects of what it was mm. causing. And there were a lot of positive things. There's a lot of great things about sound editing and mixing and picture editing uh, digitally that are that are, we wouldn't give up. Mm. But there is also something that was lost in terms of this right. f- family band connection. Well, now you're like in front of your computer, even for myself, I used to have a lot of people around me. Now I work alone, generally. And I'm with my computer, with everything I need. I can't even get help, even if I wanted it, because it's so proprietary. And it's it's like a creation. You can't have somebody jump in and muck around with your creation if they haven't been if uh, if they haven't been in there with you creating it yeah and if they were then you could say like you know that crazy thing i was trying to do here i'm going to put that aside and move on because i got other things i got to do but maybe you can sort of try to find me the right thing for that Mm -hmm. and by working together you you could come up with that and that's something that we we have lost a little bit Mm -hmm. that 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 we need to bring back reminded Um, me on and all of jim's mixes We'll be working and we'll stop for a minute to like discuss what we just saw. And that'll turn into a, could be an hour, could be two of just joking around. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that doesn't happen anymore. No. And I think that that was something that he, whether he was conscious of it or not, like maybe it just happened and he, and he kind of instigated that and it happened. Or maybe he was aware of it. I don't know. It doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. The fact that it gave you that experience with each other of enjoying yeah. that yeah. and enjoying that time together, and it is creative, and then yeah. and then digging back in. Yeah, that is a big part of working with Jim. Yeah. Those moments you're talking about. Yeah, that you, that's when you really get close. And somehow in that time period of whatever's going on, you wind your back way back to the work, and you've yep. discovered something by goofing something around. Something new, something it's, creative. It's really yeah. interesting, actually. Yeah, <laughs> Jim's very yeah. Very cool. You know, Night on Earth was these taxi rides that norm- in a normal film you would see somebody go out and hail a cab and then you would see them arrive at their destination. But he made a movie about the part that was normally cut out of the movie, which was the ride itself. And and that's what these guys are talking about, whether it's in the mix or the cutting room or anywhere, was, was these in-between moments where, where it's going to sound pretentious, but these in-between moments where people connect with each other. And it's that downtime. It's that kind of mm. like joke time, mm. familiarity, f- mm. feeling like we're playing in a band together that makes those films special. And that I do think, really, I'm not sure if it's conscious on his part or not. I just think it's something that it's he facilitates. Pers- it's yeah. his personality. Mm-hmm. It's the way he goes through life. Yeah. When we started, I just know that it didn't take us long to get into a groove all of us because i think because i think people like me and you if i could be so bold like we're hungry for something like that yeah allowed ourselves to be consumed by something like that yeah because it's funny what you're saying it's very very true i had no other experience Uh really i had done i had been in school and i had done down by law as as an intern as an apprentice and and so 
I had met this guy who had written and directed this film and we were working on the film. And so I didn't know there was anything. That's why I was, I think, a little bit sort of naive and innocent. But like, because I because I was like, yeah, of course, this is the way it works. Yeah. (laughs) And so that that there's just the way it was. And then and then you you really just kind of fell right into that. And so it was a continuation of that same kind of vibe. Like Mm. we're. Yeah, there were some crazy hours on yeah. that film too. I remember there was a there was a, a we were on Fifty Fourth. We so Trans Audio, and I think you were there too. I might have been. I think you and your whole team were there yeah, too. You're right. right. The I was same there. hallway. I was there. And we were just yep. you know, and this was the building that had in the previous decade housed Studio Fifty Four. Right. So there was a bit of history there, and and it was one block away from Duart. The lab where we where we where where our film was processed, yeah, there was film and, and <laughs> processing and things like that, and it was also directly across the street from the corner pizza place, which obviously has had an enormous impact on my life. <laughs> Luigi's, Luigi's, yeah. yeah, which was which was also the name of the restaurant at the end of Down by Law, Luigi's Tin Top. But yeah, we would spend extraordinary amounts of time in there late into the mm-hmm. night, early into the next day, just yeah. like because because the world that we were that we were creating, we recognized, like Bob saying, as a world written and directed by somebody whose world we wanted to fall into. Yeah. It was just a real cool place to be. I think also Jim Jarmish wanted our collaboration. Oh, he, this is a huge point. He, Go ahead. Sorry. He just like, you guys, I, I love what you're doing. Help me get there. You know, I, he was, it wasn't, there was no separation between us. You know, it was, it was just creative on, we're all on the same level. This was true on, on Down by Law and on everything we did with Jim, you know, everyone's opinion was equally valid. And so for him, it wasn't so much that he wrote and directed it and his word was going to be the be-all and end-all. Right. Quite the opposite. He may have done that, and, and, and we, were, we were certainly happy that he had because it gave us a world to go into. But once we were all ensconced in that world together, we, we, we all had an equal say in what was the right cut or what was the right sound. And it didn't matter if we were an intern or an apprentice or an editor or, or a sound editor or a mixer or anybody else. You know, we, we, I think there was this general assumption that we all had a sense of, of this world that we were creating. And so our opinion about how to hone in on it was as valid as anybody else's. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that was, that's, a, again, a big difference from a lot of the other things that were going on. I think mm. different filmmakers have different ways of, of utilizing or not their crews, you know, mm. and, and Jim's was certainly evolved out of this desire to appreciate and absorb and respect everybody's opinion. I have a, I have a funny anecdote about that. On uh, Broken Flowers, there's a dream sequence. <laughs> and these guys said, whip something together for it, and we'll come up and check it out. So <laughs> I got into this whole, like, Salvador Dali state of mind. I, I was being very serialistic, and I went crazy. I mean, created this masterpiece <laughs> of nonsense. <laughs> never, never do have been heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Jim and Jay came up and I played it for them and they were just like, I, this hadn't happened ever before for us, I don't think. But they were all kind of like, wow, <laughs> what the heck is that? <laughs> Jim said, this is about a woman who's very feminine. She's dreaming and it's supposed to be very gentle and beautiful and I love what you did, but it's, <laughs> it's not that at all. <laughs> you remember that, Jay? Yeah, and sometimes, sometimes, look, let's be frank, sometimes the man had to set a course correction. Yeah. You know, sometimes there was a navigational yeah, error, was and, an error. And, and the course had to be corrected. It spun and out of orbit there. Not to say we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. You know, we had to do that when, yeah. that, when that was required. But, he, but you could do, you can make a gigantic mistake like that with Jim, and it was fine. Not only mm-hmm. fine, it was really benef- it's really beneficial yeah. because in everything that we've been saying about this sort of non-hierarchical approach, 
there was still there was an author at the helm who yeah. would say like mm. I don't <laughs> think that's exactly the intention here yeah. let's <laughs> let's get back on track yeah. so so we appreciated having look he may not have thought we had a leader but we had a leader yeah. you know and yeah. I think we all knew that yeah. and and you know maybe maybe I, there's and I think his vision is always so clear yeah and, especially and concise yeah. that it was easy to always get back on track. That's right. You could go off, you know, Bob, like you're saying, on a whim and just try something crazy. And if it didn't work, you could could lock right back in. It wasn't like, oh, man, I'm lost now. I don't know what to do. No. To me, it was just like the clarity in his work. You know, as a mixer, you, you you know, use the the images to inspire you to, to mix the sound. And his... His visual style is so precise and clean and and focused that it, it, it for me it it speaks easily to you to to create. I think a, a big part of it is Jim's outlook on life and the sense of humor he imbues into the characters. Mm, that's good. That's it's good. actually the way he is. That's true. So when you work with him, you understand the movie because... Mm, It's a part of him. It's part of him. And and I think all of us have a little bit of that in us. Mm. So when you see Mystery Train, it's hysterical, but you're not laughing out loud because it's deep, you know? And that's Mm. the visionary part that it's intangible and I don't think Mm -hmm. too many filmmakers are able to find that there there are mm. there definitely are others but that for us was really special when we started no it was easy to to, to yeah. know what what jim was and was to not with. feel even remotely bad about having gone not south remotely. instead of north you yeah. know what i mean like that's what yeah. we're here for yeah. that's exactly what we're here for yeah, and yeah. if you don't have the freedom if you don't feel the freedom to do that you're not going to do your best shit yeah. mm. no i remember him actually telling me when I was mixing with you, Bob, at one mm. point, you know, I had tried tried reaching out a little bit, and right. and he was he pulled me back in. And he, yeah, but but he did that with also saying, but don't stop reaching out. Right. You know, I still want you to always right. keep reaching out. Yeah, it's good that he's aware. Of that. Yeah, it's good and that he's so, aware of that. You know, so I which is which is really, which is which is a little not 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 unheard of, but 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 a little unusual. Yeah. Not yeah. not not yeah. the most you think. You know, it's. I think when we, when I got to know Jim and Jay and we got going, I understood that I had to create a universe solely that lived on its own. It wasn't any other universe. It was the universe of this movie. And when I worked, I'd get into that frame of mind or, you know, meditation if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. to create those worlds and and I'd present it <laughs> you know <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, I think the the word trust is very important because <clears throat> if you if you do this work and you know that you're gonna go into a mixing studio with it and you have no reservations no fear no apprehension Actually, you look forward to it. This is going to be a blast. We're going to have an amazing time. And just riding that, you know, wave of, like, enthusiasm is how we worked on these movies. So trust was very important because you could, you could dream up something and show up with it, and people would appreciate it. If you didn't end up with it, you'd end up with something that evolved out of it. Something better, even. Yeah. The other thing about it is that his films are walking a very razor line. And when we mix them, I'm sure it's the same for Jay when he cuts them, everything has to be just right on the edge of that line. You can't go one heavy one way or the other way. You have to remain in the, right on that line. And It's a focus. It's a, that's yeah. A, that's and a, it, how I it, think of it. It's a so focused it's a it's a endurance test <laughs> for all of us to keep it there so when we do have a break we kind of unwind a little bit yeah <laughs> you know yeah mm-hmm. from trying to keep it there mm-hmm. yeah. 
you know, when we, we hooked up with Tony on Coffee and Cigarettes, the feature, mm-hmm. so, so these shorts had been being made, and, and um, you know, uh, t- two of them had been finished. I want to say three. Three of them. We had three in the can. We had we had the first one with Steve uh, Stephen Wright and Roberto Benini. We had the Memphis version with Sankey and Twilight. We did at the end of Mystery Train. Yeah, I did. And then we had with Iggy and Tom. And and so then Jim decided uh, this was this was uh, shortly after September 11th, 2001, uh, that he wanted to make the rest. He had two more in the can that had never been cut. We were going to cut them during uh, Ghost Dog. That's another story that, but we didn't. And so we opened a cutting room, and we and we and we cut those two. And and he shot, I don't know, six more. I I didn't know there was going to be math. There was a few. There was a few. There was a few. So, but there was something complicated. First of all, it was a very low budget operation. But when we got to sound, you know, things were tight, and. There was there was some complication with Woody Allen. Yeah, I think I was busy. Yeah, we 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 could have waited for you and mixed with Dom, or we could have cut with Chick, sound and mixed with Tony, mm-hmm. and we were like pulling our hair. We didn't know Tony, and we were like, I don't know what combination are we supposed to. New drummer in the band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So so that was the way we wound up going. Chick uh, did the sound right on the feature, yeah. and and uh, and then we went in with Tony to mix. And like I said before, we were we had we knew we had found a bandmate. We knew we had found a family member at that time, and we were super excited. But we didn't know that going in. So it was very very exciting to get in there and to know that we were in good hands. And so I, I guess I was wondering if you could talk about a little bit about how things evolved beyond that with Jim, with you and Jim. So because mm-hmm. you had done you, so you did so you did that with us. Yeah. And we had a great time. And one of the great things about that too was that there was music. There was music in each of the eleven films. Right. And so that was a way for us because that's the way I connected with Jim originally too. On yeah. on on Down by Law was really over music, music. Yeah. and yeah. movies, but but music at first. Yeah. And. And we had a, uh, music in each of these 11 films. Which all had to be treated very uniquely because exactly. each, each uh, it wasn't score per se. No, not at all. all. There was yeah. no score, I don't it think. All, no, it was all yeah. source. All source, I, yeah. That brought that. that yeah. and each your ability to yeah. do that with us, yeah. br- 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 I think, brought us together. Yeah. The next time, I actually worked on um, these garage tapes uh, the tom oh, waits garage yes, tapes yes 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 um and uh there are all these little shorts with tom waits up at his farm that uh, jim had filmed and they're really cool most of them were you know like performance kind of pieces with tom singing into a megaphone and playing drums or but it was a little of, but it was a little yeah. bit of insight into tom's tom's yeah, world very much so yep and then after that we worked again together mm-hmm. uh actually uh I worked again with Jim, but first time working with you yeah. on Patterson, which um, it was. It was like it was like I had known you since kindergarten right. or something. It, 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 it felt like exactly like even though that was our first time working together, it yeah. felt like we were old souls somehow yeah, yeah. reuniting. Absolutely, uh, and it was a, a wonderful experience. <laughs> Just felt like felt natural. And I think that the consciousness of making a Jim Jarmusch film, for us who are in it, we can instantly relate to the work together. I don't know how to explain mm. it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It didn't take us more than 10 seconds to get there. <laughs> to, you know, know? to know what We to knew we were like both on the wavelength, yeah. and it was off, to, we, off after We that. both knew the sensitivity that was needed, and, yeah. and we're on the same page. And yeah. There's now a I'm waterfall in Patterson. Yeah. Tony Tony made it magical. He spent hours and hours creating this magic with the water. You know, Such just a turn location. on the waterfall. <laughs> right. And he spent Such hours. A great it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Where was <laughs> yeah. that where was that one mixed? Where what room was that one mixed? We mi- we mixed it uh in Studio A at Harbor. Oh, okay. And okay. uh yeah, you would you would think like, oh, here's a here's a film that's all 
uh, dialogue on riding around on buses right. for the most part and in front of a waterfall. Yeah. Oh, this will be great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah but yeah. Uh, but it's actually recorded very well. And uh, I have to say, oh, I would yeah. be remiss if I didn't mention Drew Cunyon, who, exactly. who who's recorded the sound for all mm. of Jim's films, mm. and he is phenomenal. I'm sorry, he yeah. is a genius. Yeah. He is phenomenal. He 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 just you know you don't. It's again, it's like when you go and work on something else that you start to realize how you don't always get the the care and the quality that you that you get from somebody like Drew and he and he is he and is Drew just, is always up against God knows how many all exactly obstacles. all those guys like, nothing yeah, like definitely. nothing phased him one yeah. of the lowest guys on the mm. totem pole really because first yeah. I mean you have the actors so you yeah. got to deal with them you have mm. you have the cameraman who's you know yeah. probably gonna be a bit of a prima donna if you don't mind my saying so <laughs> you're gonna have like the costume designer you're gonna have like all these people and the sound guy's gonna be like wait a minute wait a minute uh, this is Mike's money you know what I mean and exactly. but he somehow manages first of all he's I think, had I think Jim probably has a lot to do with that I think Jim, so too. Jim is such a sound guy. That's right. That he's going to make sure, you know, that That's he's right. getting. He had done some sound work of his own when he was coming up. Yeah. He was he was a sound recordist, I think, on mm. on uh, the mm. William Burroughs doc and yeah. some other things. And, and, what, and what was interesting on Patterson was he that uh, Jim did the music, as yeah. well, like performed the music. Talk about that a little bit. Let's see. Let's so that, talk about that a little bit. Yeah. How did so that, that was that was really uh, you know I think unique to. This was I went to the, the cutting music. room and they had temp score in there. And I'm watching it, I'm like, film stops, and I loved it. And, and he said, well, what do you think of the score? And I said, how come you're not doing the score? I don't get it. Mm. You know? And he well, I'm thinking about it. Because <laughs> <You know? laughs> what had happened was he had done a portion of it on mm -hmm. limits of control, is where he first started to do some original music. Because I think that was the one where we had some, he had brought these kind of drone guitar bands, Sun and Earth, the, 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 and, and Boris. And so we used some pre-existing tracks of those, those, of Boris, of Sun, and of Earth, and then sort of some squirrel sort of filled in the rest. And then, on Only Lovers Left Alive, it was sort of a Squirrel-Joseph von Wissem collaboration, and then on Patterson, it was it mm -hmm. was all Jim and all Squirrel. Yeah, that that was I think that mm -hmm. was the progression. That's, yeah. I asked Jay to talk about his process as a picture editor and working with Jim Jarmusch, and how a film like Dead Man came together. One of the things about cutting for Jim is that he likes to keep things sort of separated, so you're not on location as you are in some many other films. So you're you're in New York and he's wherever he may be, New Orleans, Memphis, Arizona, the Pacific Northwest, wherever he may be, they're they're doing their thing. And he's generally not too worried about the editing. He's worried about the shooting and collecting the raw material to make something good. And it's generally not until he gets back that he starts to focus on the editing. And this has been true throughout my my experiences with him and i i like it find that way myself i'm doing my own thing and i'm trying to see what i can make happen with the with the film but i do i i do try to sort of send him a little bit just to reassure him that he's making a movie and you know it's coming out and and you know it it might even be good and uh and uh so that's that was that was what we were doing on dead man and he had written with crazy horse in mind in terms of music so i was sort of temping with with crazy horse music which was super fun i had been a fan of crazy horse since since my high school junior high school days so that was all good and i did send him a little taste now and then of of stuff and it would have something from sleeps with angels or something from cortez the killer you know in there and i think it it was it allowed him again to just sort of know that whatever he was doing was was hopefully going to be coming together in the long run when we got into when he got back we started cutting the film and there were some there were some complications it had rained a little bit when they were shooting the last scene and it wasn't clear if they might have to go back 
uh, if there would be inconsistencies in, in continuity and complications that they might have to go back and pick up some stuff for. It turns out in the end they didn't. Everything, everything worked out well. But, you know, that was the first film that we were fully digital for. I cut that film on a Lightworks editing system, even though they had, they had shot on film. And so, but it, it did. One of the freedoms it gave me was to, like, experiment because I didn't have to, like, chop up the work print and put it back together and chop it up again. You know, I could, I could kind of play. And, and incorporate music and, and visual effects a little bit. You know, it was early days of digital, but we were, we were doing it. So by the time he got back, you know, I had a lot of stuff going on. Some of it was along the lines of what he had intended, and some of it was not, you know. I remember he had to talk me through. I had done the craziest. It's a little bit like what you were saying yeah. about the dream mm-hmm. in, in Broken Flowers, because I had done the, the craziest combination of of chaos uh for the for the opening scene i think on the train train. and and he got back and he was like that's all well and good and a mess here's what i had in mind (laughs) and 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 i built that with him and it and 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 to this day i mean people write about that sequence that he designed Uh and and that he you know illustrated for me how to how to uh construct the kind of complication that I remember on that was he, you know, we wanted Neil Young to do the music and he had he had wanted Neil Young to do the music from the beginning and we were having a little trouble making contact and, and we had sent a VHS copy of something to Neil's manager, Elliot Roberts, but it wasn't getting to Neil. Elliot was doing his job. He was protecting Neil from lunatics like us. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and and we were just about to say like damn we're gonna have to like go to plan b if there even is a plan b like yeah. what, what and and it was at the last possible second that somehow neil must have found this vhs and watched it and be like that's crazy man it had cortez the killer on it, it had, <laughs> and and he was like okay yeah i see what's happening here and he and then it was a whirlwind and then mm. Larry Johnson, the incredible audiovisual person uh, under Neil's employ at the time, uh, who had done like Woodstock and all this is incredible things, but but was was a, uh, just an amazing human being. He was like, okay, once we heard that Neil wanted to do it, because he was hesitant. He was like, I don't know how to score a movie, and Jim was like, Neil. You can do it. You can totally do it. You need a theme for the bad guys. You need a theme for the good guys. And that's pretty much it. And then you just <laughs> sorry, you know, you'll figure it out as you go along. Mm-hmm. And so Larry, Larry built this. We, Jim and I went to San Francisco. Larry had built on a, on a, in a sound stage, a Neil's basically built out Neil's concert gear, but a, and within a circle of, uh, monitors that would play and we hadn't locked the cut at that point the cut was running about two and a half hours the finished film's two hours but the cut was running about two and a half hours and and we he he had built this circle of about nine monitors one real big one in front of neil and 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 then they had built neil's gear old black the guitar and and some other his organ and some other things that he had at his disposal and and a little sofa for me and jim sit on the sofa and it was mind blowing. It took them like half a day to get the stuff set up, and the mobile recording truck was in the alley outside. And and uh, they got it all rigged up, and they were going to start the film. And Neil was just going to play along to the film. So we were like, "That's amazing! That's fantastic! That's great!" Would be ideal if Neil could wear headphones, because otherwise when you're playing back the movie for, for Neil to watch, we're going to hear all the dialogue and stuff on Neil's tracks, and that's going to be a problem for us later if we want to shift things around or, or play with things like that. And everybody was like, Neil doesn't like cans. He does not want to wear headphones. He's not comfortable with headphones. And we were like, Neil, we're going to hear the dialogue from the movie on the tracks. It's going to be a nightmare for us. We're not going to be able to use it. And he was like, no, no, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. And we were like, oh, my God, here we go. After lunch, they start the, the movie. Neil plays along to the movie. It's 
fucking amazing. I mean, we're sitting, we're at, literally in awe. It's like we're watching our movie and listening to Neil Young play along. Mm. That was that was day one. Day two, we settle in. He does another take in the morning. I think we break for lunch. We come back. He does a third take. The final third of the movie, he stops. And I say, Jim, I think I think that's it. He's done because he did that part so amazingly yesterday in the two takes that there's no way he's going to do it again. He, he, he crushed it. And, uh, and he didn't play the rest of the movie. He watched the rest of the movie, and we sat there watching the movie. And then he sat down and he did, after lunch on the second day, he did, uh, he did uh, the main title theme. And uh, then what happened was, so we had like two and a half takes of the whole movie, right, with him playing along with the soundtrack and everything. And we made these VHSs. We made two sets, one for Jim and one for Neil. And they each took them home. And then a couple of days later, we had gone home. We went home to New York and we were trying to finish cutting the movie. And then a couple of days later, we get a call like, okay, Neil's coming in New York to mix this. And you guys were in mixing Foley's with Dominic, like pre-pre-mixing yeah. Foley's and stuff. And we were like, dude, we need, Neil, we need Dominic and we need the room. And Jim and Neil had watched those three takes at home and made notes. And then we went through and Dominic mixed the three takes together. And that was the score of the movie. And, and where the dialogue bled on, we, we had to line it up or not use it, mm-hmm. the, those bits. You know, we knew we were working on a really cool movie, and it was gelling and everything. But when the score came in, it was, oh, my God, this this is, you know, elevated a whole nother, you know, at orbit. What point, at what point did you become aware of that? Was it was it in the mix that you that you that you started hearing that? Yeah, or, or, it wasn't okay. until the mix because we really didn't. I don't think you didn't we had have it. Before. Yeah. We were pre-mixing when you finished up up there. Yeah, and yeah. then bang, we were mixing. Yeah. So for me, it was during the mix. I think a lot of that movie is from pers- I don't smoke, but I can imagine if you sat in a courtyard in Spain and smoked and just watched. And get take it all in. Um, <clears throat> that's what the f- the film was, you know, hoping the audience would do. So that was my involvement was to make that like feel like beautiful. So luckily we did. It was like again, it's a lot of sound editing and sound designing is treasure hunting. <laughs> you know, you you can't do anything unless you have have the sound it's just like a musician is so phenomenal because he can create those sounds it's the same for us we need those sounds so we sent people to spain and they recorded phenomenal things that i was able to work with you know the the landscapes of spain um i mean it's it's very unique so i had all these recordings and uh they didn't necessarily belong to what we see, but I felt something for one, and I tried here, and I liked it, and I'd embellish it with other things also. But the basic of it was the natural sound of the of the location. It's the same thing, for instance, with birds. Jim's very focused on he knows wildlife extremely well, so if I put a bird in. The desert that comes from northeast, it's wrong, and he knows it. <laughs> so everything in, in a movie should be as authentic as you possibly can make it, because then it's true to itself. So it's a big challenge for sound editors to get what they need for any given movie. But somebody said that the reason you smoke cigarettes is because you get to stop and take in the world. Yeah. And other people don't do that. Well, that's a little bit like the uh, in-between moments we were mm-hmm. talking about before, yeah. but, but but then we all know smoking is bad for you. Yeah. Why would we do that? I don't know. <laughs> the sound design and the sound effects are, are again, like a, just a high point of, of, of sound editing and, and, and filmmaking and sound. 
the trust that was required because we were so preoccupied with finishing the cut, which we hadn't finished, and with recording the music, that that Jim was just like, El Bobo's on it. And we'll be good. <laughs> Which brings and, us to El Bobo. <laughs> and we got there, and we were. And, and it was just, just tremendous. Yeah. yeah, do you remember the, de- the derivation of El Bobo? I remember on Mystery Train, Yeah, the, there was a Spanish radio station. Yes. And Jim would, Jim would do his, you know, repertoire of voices that do that on... Put a dakin in the sack. Queen Bee Barbecue. Yeah. Queen Bee so Barbecue. So Jim did his own versions and somehow got off on including me as this character. Oh, yes, he would Al do the, the, yes, the English Town Raceway, like the Raceway uh, voice commercial. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Raceway. And, and, and uh, that's right. But somehow, somehow, El Bobo came out of that. Came out and of Reggie that. the Dog. That was, that, I'm sorry, that was down by law. Oh, Frank then, Kern. There was, was there was the a dog. phrase in Italian that, that, again, this is neither here nor there, but there was this phrase in Italian that Benini used to say, that to us sounded like he was saying Reggie the dog. <laughs> and, 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 but so, so Reggie the dog, Reggie the dog. But somehow in Italian, that must mean something. But that's what we started calling Frank, uh-huh. was Reggie the dog. So it was Frank was Reggie the dog, and you were El Bobo. And you were Cool Jay. I was Cool Jay. I was Cool Jay. Originally, I was, uh, well, I'll t- I actually, I, I appreciate your mentioning that, and I will, I will tell two, two quick stories about nicknames. Originally, I was... The Lithuanian Terminator. Oh yeah, right. yeah. Because because <laughs> because Jim had asked me about my ancestry, and I told him that my father's mother was born in Lithuania before she came to the Bronx, and I also had like these blue mirror sunglasses, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. which he thought looked like the Terminator, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. So. <laughs> He knew that my grandmother was from Lithuania, and I had these mirrored blue sunglasses. So he combined them, and he made the Lithuanian Terminator. And he also called me Lithoterm. He shortened that down to Lithoterm. And then at some point, he also started calling me Cool J, which I loved because it was like, oh, my God, a guy who many, many people consider to be the coolest guy in the world is calling me Cool J. So I'll take that <laughs> to the bank, you know? And, and it wasn't until like many, many, let, let's say 25 years later, I said, you know, Jim, it's funny to me that you decide to call me Cool J because I'm so not cool <laughs> and I'm such a nebbishy guy. And he was like, it took you 25 years <laughs> to realize that? <laughs> so oh, that's funny. That was my that's my litho term cool J story. The last movie on Patterson. For years we've been saying, why don't you use El Bobo as your credit? I was like, Yeah, sure, let's do it. And I never happened. Did they do it? They finally did it on Patterson. Nice. So people come up to me. El Bobo. Out of nowhere. It's like, oh, we saw this movie Patterson. What was that weird name you have for yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice that at the end. I love Patterson, but I didn't notice that at the end. I have to look at that. The, the, um, the, uh, the only one who really used it in a credit for such a long time was Dominic. Yeah. Dominic used the, the, dominator, the dominator from yeah. early on. And that was a, that was a stroke of genius. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he was particularly fond of that. I have a, a funny anecdote. When we did... Limits of control. There's, you know, lots of scenes of characters walking mm-hmm. in alleyways and upstairs and around corners. And so I was being very careful to make footsteps for these scenes where they didn't exist. So we'd have something to listen to, to focus on the character. And many times in films, that that yeah. does focus your attention. Absolutely. So it's a standard thing you do, but you have to do it very carefully. So Jim came into the cutting room, just dropped in. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm making footsteps for these, for the scene. And he watches it, and he says, come with me. And we, he, we get up, and we start walking down the hall really fast together. Do you hear any goddamn footsteps? Do you hear one footstep? <laughs> you don't hear a sound. You don't hear anything. There's no such thing as a footstep. 
why do you put it in the movie? You know, and then we had this huge debate about why we had to put it in the movie. He said, well, you do what you need to do because I don't hear anything. <laughs> now so, I have to go back. Are they in the mix? Do you they remember? are in the mix. Yeah. I, I, I hesitate. I was going to stop yeah. doing no, it, no, no, but no. I didn't. Good that you didn't <laughs> yeah. get on you because, because, uh, you know, because that does focus your attention. Yeah. He, he's our man, you yeah. know, and it just kind of focuses our, our attention on his solitary walkingness. Right. But sometimes it's hard to articulate that yeah. when a guy's going like, hey, you hear any fucking footsteps? Yeah, exactly. Oh, fuck yourself. Exactly. So, but sometimes you have to hold your own. Yeah, you, and have, you have to, to hold say your like, own. Yeah. yeah, well, this is a movie. You know what yeah. I mean? It's a movie. So... Like, I think there's a, there's a subtlety to his films and the writing and the... It's all very the acting. subtle. There's a lot of time for subtlety. And subtlety is the most, for sound, is the most challenging thing. That's right. So, That's right. <clears throat> it's very, very, very easy subtle, to right? do these big, loud, you know, filled up with sound, covering lots of mistakes and lot, you yeah. know, but very difficult to do these intimate, quiet. So when you do scenes, like, the mailbox in Patterson, it squeaked a little different for every time you got to it. There was something amusing to us. I don't know if an audience would ever hear it. But there was some little thing that we did to each one of those that was a little different. And that's what we do in those movies. We find little, tiny little things to do, and it all adds up mm. into what it becomes. It does it feel, does it still feel in, in the era of Patterson and, and Only Lovers Left Alive that those kind of details are still a part of the process? Does mm -hmm. it still, it does? Yeah. Good. Yeah, Good. definitely does. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Cause it's so, I, I feel that, but, I, but it's hard to know if, that's, yeah. if that still feels yeah. that way to you guys as you're, as you're going through the process. Yeah, I think, I don't think Jim has, changed yeah yeah and the energy Good. the same kind of energy yeah. is still still in the same mode, mode yeah, yeah. <clears throat> we we you know we had the similar kind of experience on patterson that we did on only lovers or you know yeah <clears throat> yeah because Jim brings that, no matter who's going to be in the crew. Because yeah. he's worked with the, I mean, there's, it's been a small group, I think, that he works with. It's very loyal, which I mm -hmm. think is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think this, the results are always the same. They're special. Mm. You know, they're, they're, they're great. No matter which, you know, who's editing, who's sound mixing. I so, think also we, we know we're going to have incredible amount of fun when we work. Yeah. So. Which is not always the case. It's not always the case. Right. And you get up and you go to work and you're just like, I can't wait. We're going to have so much fun today. Mm. And, <laughs> and we do. And he's the source of that, you know, yeah. for the most part. Because he'll stop things and start telling stories. He's his storytelling is I don't know no I don't know yeah. if anyone's ever recorded him telling stories yeah Someone no it's should. really second to none but it's yeah. hard because like that whole recording process then right away puts some kind yeah. of onus on it right yeah. but when it's, it's just like, like a lock like the locker room conversation yes you know, it's, like, it's only it's only yeah. for our ears only yeah. you get and they'll mimic each person you know yeah. blend them into the story <laughs> they become a character and he yeah. does different voices and and it's spellbinding, really. Mm. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's a big part of the process for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> um, but it hasn't changed. Does that happen even in the edit room? Oh, my God. It happens, like, exponentially <laughs> so in the edit room. You know, I mean, the... the uh, 
the amount of time focused on actual <laughs> editing yeah. is uh, is modest mm. at best. Uh, it, the better part of the day mm. is focused on uh, storytelling yeah. and listening to music, listening to music, <laughs> hanging out. What I noticed right off the bat with with you and and Jim working together was your music connection, like, like the way you guys think about music, listen to music. Well, I think it, editing it, it is was so music, much really about Tony. so much about music. Well, th- but that's why coming from from music mixing yourself, mm-hmm. I, I think editing and and filmmaking to a degree. I mean, I don't remember who said it. Frankly, I'm not sure that it has been articulated that has duly been given to one particular man. It might have been. But somebody said, some some wise man once said that all art aspires to the condition of music. Mm-hmm. I like and that. I think editing mm-hmm. does and I think mixing mm-hmm. does and, yeah. I, and I think sound, I think what we do does. Yeah. And and so yes, I mean mm-hmm. I think that we we and it, it's not even so much as saying, although to some degree it is like, hey, did you hear this band, or do you know that band, and or did right. you hear this track, and do you, yeah. I, I love this track, check it well, out. I remember the whole time we were working together, you'd, you'd be, listen to this, uh, yeah. you know, you'd be playing some random thing, I'd be yeah. like, wow, I never heard that before. And yeah. Just you know, No, a lot of it is that, but at the same time, like, there's this underlying appreciation for the other person's ability to appreciate mm. what, is yeah. a, what is a great track. Yes. And... And, and and what is a great cut? And what is a great mix? What is a great flow to a piece of music? To me, it's like, it's all music, basically. Yeah, like, yeah we're, ideally. We're mixing sound for film, but it to me, it's music. The pictures. It's music to the ears. The dialogue. Yeah. yeah I mean, all of it. Yeah. Me too. And, and I feel I like agree. when working with Jim, it's like making music. That's right. That's all we're trying it's to all, do. Yeah. Trying to make a good, a yeah. good, solid track for people to listen to and get off on and, and appreciate. Yeah, I agree yeah. completely. The session was co-produced by Isabel Sederni and Ben Baker. In New York, I'm your host, Isabel Sederni, and this is Frame by Frame. <laughs>